standing with me at this time, and if you have a Bible, uh, you're invited to turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. And if you don't feel like uh, finding it, don't worry, I'm going to have it on the screen. This is kind of a, a lesser known text. And uh, I'm just going to read these this morning as we begin our time. And uh, if it doesn't make sense, it'll make sense as we go through the sermon. But it's Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Then I'm going to skip over to Daniel chapter 9 and, verse, uh, and read verses 16 through 19. And all of it will be up on the screen. And this is God speaking through a courageous man during a time when Israel was in exile. So Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's another phrase for God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And then turning to Daniel chapter 9, verses 16 through 19, this is Daniel praying for his people during a time of exile. He says, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. May God bless the reading of this word in your life. You may be seated at this time. Well, I want to welcome you to White Oak this morning. Um, if you are new or visiting here with us, I've seen a couple new faces. Um, I just want to say we're glad you're here. Uh, my name is John Wethington, and I'm the lead pastor here at White Oak. And um, I'm just glad you're here. I love you guys so much. Uh, I love pastoring you all and uh, being a part of all that God is doing in this community. And um, we've been on this journey that most of you know, uh, Reclaim the Wonder We're going from the beginning to the end of the Bible in five months, which, as we've said, is a very ambitious task. Uh, But we have been joyed to do it, and we only have two weeks left in the Old Testament. And so if you have been with us, um, you have got a pretty good understanding of the key parts of the Old Testament. There's a lot more that you can read, uh, but we have covered really the main parts. And so this week and next week are the last weeks, and then we're going to get to Jesus, and that's where it gets really good, right? That's the climax of everything, and uh, that's the part I'm excited. I've enjoyed going through the Old Testament, uh, but I'm glad we're almost to Jesus. And so we are heading there, and this is uh, one of the last two weeks that we'll be here in the Old Testament and as we begin this morning, uh, what you need to know is, is this, is that God is wireless. And if that makes no sense to you, then I hope to be able to explain to you why I phrase it like that this morning. When I look at Israel and the time of exile and in the life of Daniel, 
I believe that we see God is wireless, and I'll explain about that as we go a little bit further. But to begin, I want to start with a personal story out of my personal life of a journey that my wife and I have been on, and I think it's going to help to kind of ease us into the story of Daniel and the time of exile uh, this morning. Uh, We have been on this journey, as many of you know, because we're about to have our first kid, and so we've been evaluating our current living situation. And so we have been looking around in the community trying to find, I guess what they call your forever home or whatever, like the the house that you can raise a bunch of kids in. We're kind of looking for that house. Uh, We have a really, really good house, but it's probably not a house you can raise like five kids in. And I know we've not had one kid yet. Everyone's like, well, just wait till you have one. You know, I I get it. We'll cross that bridge when it gets there. I'm still allowed to hope and dream and be ambitious, right? I want to have five kids, so we'll see. Um, But we've been kind of looking for like that home, right, that we can do that in, right? And uh, I'll tell you, man, it has been a long and tiresome process. And I've shared with some of you about the details of it. Uh, But we found this one house, right? And it was a really cool house. It was in the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, close to where my, my mom still lives. And uh, we're looking at this house, and we got really excited about it. And we started the process of looking into this house probably literally maybe five or six months ago. It's been a long time, hasn't it, baby? Yeah, it's been a long time, right? And, um, and so we got into this house, and obviously, you know, neither one of us are a lawyer or anything like that. So obviously, we, we've got our budget that we're working within and trying to figure everything out. And we found this one house, and like I said, it, it had a lot of the qualities that we wanted in a house. We were really excited about it, and so we put our house on the market. We got this house under contract on a contingency, which basically means our house has to sell in order to buy this other house. And the process has been a complete, um, I don't know if train wreck is the right word, um, but something like that, right? Ken, not, not, Ken knows about train wrecks. He, he works for Metro, the light rail, but, um, but I guess that's kind of dramatic. But it's been, it's been a crazy like, experience, and... Uh, the whole journey, it's just been one thing after the next, and the house we're looking at, it, it, it's got a really good location, but it, I mean, it's just in like really, really bad shape. And then our house has had trouble selling because like the market has been really slow. Like the, the housing market here in Houston is probably about as low as it's been probably in the past five years. Um, many of you probably know that. And so it's just been a really crazy and long process, and it has not been smooth, and, and nothing has worked as planned, but we've tried to make it happen, and we've gone for it, and we've gone for it. And then this past weekend, I was sitting at my, my kitchen table and I was emailing our real estate agent back and forth. We had a really good real estate agent. So if you need someone here in the area, I got you. Got a really good person. Um, but I kind of made the decision after everything had been so crazy and so rambunctious. I said, you know what? We're just going to stay where we're at. You know, that the baby's coming in a month and a half. And so I don't have time to be working on this anymore. And uh, I sent this email to the agent we were working with saying, look, I really appreciate all you've done for us. It's been a really, really good process. Um, but uh, I think we're going to stay where we're at for, for the time being, and we might pick up the look, you know, the looking a few months down the road, but we're going to stay where we're at. We're going to turn down our offer we have on the house, and we're going to let it kind of just sit at ease, and we're going to just stay where we're at. And I sent the email, and the first couple minutes after I sent the email, there was like this huge sense of relief that came over me because, as, as you know, things have been crazy for us. We have a baby on the way. Um, but as I sat there for a couple minutes in relief, then shortly after that, I began to feel this feeling that, that maybe you felt before in your life and a lot of different things where I honestly felt like, man, I just wasted a lot of time, you know? Um, any of you have ever tried to buy a house and you know that process and how emotional it is and you know the ups and downs and, and it's really uncertain and I mean I invested time and effort and energy. I invested money in this project. I paid for certain things to check out that house and to fix up our house to get it sold and I, I just feel like I invested like literally over a hundred hours over the past five months trying to make this thing happen 
all to send an email and sit there and saying, we've been through all this, we've done all this, and we're going to stay exactly where we're at. In that moment, I felt like, man, what a waste of my life and my time and my money and my effort and all the conversations that we had. It just feels like, what, what were we doing? And then you start thinking, well, God, if, if you didn't want us to have this, like, why didn't you shut it down earlier, right? You, you could have done that and you could have let us know and I could have been focusing on more important things and not wasting a hundred hours of my life on something that didn't even work out. Like, God, what was going on there, right? But then I began to, to remember that Part of the Christian life is not about understanding everything or knowing everything, but trusting that literally God works everything together for the good of those who love him. Even the failures, even the uncertainties, even the things that seem like they're horrible in the moment, that we believe that God uses every single thing for our good. And this verse came to mind, which you've heard before, Romans 8, 28, when Paul was writing about Israel and all the, the mess they had been through and, and, and everyone's wondering, how is God going to use this people? They've done so many horrible things, like God predestined them for greatness and it was a crazy kind of erratic path. And then Paul writes this, and we know though that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those that are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Meaning that in light of all of Israel's failures over the years, God worked every ounce of it, every single ounce of every single thing that they had been through. Not just 90%, not just the good deeds, not just the good acts. He used everything together for their good and for his glory. That we as Christians are called to focus on God's perfection and the way that he weaves everything in life together. And not so much focus on our failures or our attempts or whether or not we were successful. And this is one of the ways in which I believe we see that God is wireless, meaning that even when you can't trace exactly how it works out or how the connection comes together, that God works everything together for the good of those who love him. You can't see the connection, but the connection is there because the connection is far more advanced. It's far more full of wonder than simply the simple line you could trace from one place to the next. That God is wireless and that he works everything together for the good of those who love him. Even the things you can't see and even the things that you do not understand. And the story of Daniel is this beautiful proclamation in in the midst of a time called exile, which I'm going to explain here in a minute. But what we see in the story of Daniel, and and I love this phrase, it says that even when Israel was nothing, God was still everything. That even when Israel had been conquered and had been demolished and things were not going well and the promise looked like it had failed God was still working his plan and his purpose to a beautiful and a wonderful end. Before we get to the story of of Daniel, I want to explain kind of how we get to Daniel, right? Because last week we talked about kings, Evan preached a great sermon on it, and uh, when we left last week, everything was good. Israel had a kingdom, 
They were literally in the promised land that God had prepared for them. They had national boundaries. They were a strong power in the world. They had their king that they wanted, right? So they have their their land and they have their king. And then they even built a temple under the reign of Solomon, who was like the last really good king, right? They built this temple, so now they've got a place to worship and connect with God. And really, they thought this is the beginning when everything goes well from here. Have you ever been to that place in your life where you're like, all right, I'm here now. Everything else for the rest of my life is going to go well. And then, like, it's like the complete opposite, right? It's like, I'm married. Now everything for the rest of my life is going to be, like, so happy. And, like, everything's going to be great, you know? My kid is here, and it's so beautiful, and I love it so much. And for the rest of my life, it's just going to be, like, singing, like, sweet songs to one another. And they're never going to go through the teenage years. And, and they're never going to poop five times a day, right? And, and, and they're never going to cry in public and embarrass me, right? Like, that's never going to happen, right? Because they're beautiful, and they're precious, and it's sweet. Israel thought they had gotten to that point. The kingdom was here. Israel was powerful. They had their king. They had their temple. Everything was well. And then everything falls apart. And, and there's a lot of background behind why that happened, but the, the most simple way that I can explain it is after King Solomon dies, who was a great wise king and he built a temple, um, the, the thing people forgot about Solomon was that he was like a really smart, wise, good administrative guy. And so he had all these people working for him, right? Because they were doing a bunch of really good things. And he was working them really hard. But they really believed in Solomon. And they loved Solomon. And so people were kind of willing to work hard for him. But then when Solomon died and his son Rehoboam began to ascend to the throne, the people from the north who were kind of the more of like the, they were like the people that worked really hard and paid, they paid all the taxes and they did all the work and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, those people came down to the south where like Jerusalem was located and they said, Rehoboam, you're about to become the king and yet we're going to ask you to lighten up the load on us in the north who are doing all this work. Solomon worked us really hard. We were basically just like slaves. Please lighten the load on us. Rehoboam says, no, I'm not going to do that because we're going to keep what my father was doing. And so the, the north basically revolts and they leave. And so now there's two kingdoms, right? And Rehoboam, Solomon's son, is, is managing the south part of the kingdom, which they call Judah. And the north part of the kingdom was called Israel. It's really boring, but I know we're, we're going to get somewhere with this, okay? And so the north part was called Israel. But here's the problem. They kind of begin this, this kind of series of, of downward motion because now the kingdom is divided. And back in that day, um, if a kingdom was divided, that means immediately you were essentially half as strong. And so basically they're they're a divided kingdom now, and so now they're split, and then they kind of start sinning more and worshiping idols, and bad things starts happening. But they're also really weak because a house divided against itself, as they say, cannot stand. And shortly thereafter, the northern part of um, Israel, which was called Israel, gets conquered by really bad people called the Assyrians. And shortly thereafter, uh, the southern part, Judah, gets conquered by a great empire of the day called Babylon. And it was during this time when they were divided and when things were going down and they were getting conquered, when God began sending the prophets. And so if you look in the Bible, there's a bunch of like names and books in the Old Testament of which you know, you've never heard of before and you know nothing about them. Those were different people that God sent in tough seasons to deliver words to the people that God was still with them that he was still going to judge sin, that he was still going to bring glory. And so, like, for instance, like the northern kingdom Israel, Amos, Jonah, and Hosea were three of the prophets that came to them. And so if you, if you go in your Bible, you can go to those books, and you can read about God's word to the northern tribe during this season. And then Judah, the south, which was like the main kingdom, God sent people like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Micah, and people like that to speak to the southern kingdom to tell them what God wanted. And so that's where a lot of the prophets begin to emerge. But as the prophets speak that one day God will renew all things, Israel still begins to fall apart. And eventually the storm and the hurricane 
of oppression comes their way, blows over Israel. And when the waters subside, there is literally nothing left of Israel. And they enter into a time that we call exile. Because they were literally, most of them were still living in their land, and yet they were oppressed. They were not in charge. Israel as a nation didn't even exist. They had no more borders. Jerusalem was completely torn up and destroyed. The temple which Solomon built, which they thought that was the beginning of the end of all things, was destroyed and was burned and was conquered. Pagan idols and gods were set up all across the territory. And it looked as if this was the time when it was officially over. And if you were living in this time, it would have been the time of great hopelessness. Because what was happening in this season was that they had had the kingdom before and now it was gone. And the problem prior was that they had never entered into the kingdom, right? But they had finally gotten into the kingdom and things were finally really good and yet everything was wiped away. And so there was this hopelessness that filled the land. But then something strange happened. And this is where it begins to get really good. And this is where we begin to see that God is wireless. Because even when God, even when Israel was nothing, God was still everything. God raises up this guy who was one of the coolest guys in the entire Old Testament named Daniel. And Daniel is awesome. He is courageous. He's, he's that guy, like, you know that person, they've just got like the faith that you admire always optimistic, God's always working. I mean, they can have like the worst day in the world and yet they're, they got a smile on their face. Okay, you don't know anyone like that. I don't, I don't really either, right? But this guy was like that, right? He was like super optimistic and everything was well and he believed in God. He was in the middle of this like horrible pagan worshiping culture and yet he was committed to the God of Israel. And we begin to see here that God is wireless because even when Israel was destroyed, we begin to see this this crazy concept which will ring through the rest of the Bible that God's glory and God's redemption are not tied to the national success of Israel. And that was a really important point in that day. God will use Israel because he made a covenant with them. He will work through that people to see the redemption of all things. But whether or not Israel is faithful, whether or not they can get their kingdom act together, God will be good. For much of this time, people thought that the success of God in the world was based upon how well Israel did. And yet in the story of Daniel, we begin to see this image where God is working powerfully even in the midst of a kingdom that is struggling. And this will eventually go on to be fulfilled in Christ, but we'll get to that kind of later down the road. But uh, Daniel, he's just such a great guy. He... um, Daniel's the guy who, he was literally born at the beginning of exile. And so when Daniel was born, uh, this nation that he grew up in was just completely on this like kind of downward spiral and things were were really not going well. And uh, Daniel, what you have to know is back then, like uh, a lot of the kingdoms and the kings, they would uh, have these courts because they had all these things they needed to do, right? They wanted to have a great palace and they wanted to conquer all this territory. They wanted to do all these great things. And so they needed a bunch of people to carry out all these tasks. And so what the kings of those days would do is they would say to their servants, I want you to go out and I want you to find me the best of the best people. I want you to go out and find me the men who are like the most handsome and the smartest and the strongest. I want you to go out and find me men of really good stock and I want you to bring them back to my palace and I'm gonna train them to be people that work in my court and carry out my will. 
And so the king of Babylon was, was just like that. He sent some people out, and they went out to some of the Israelites who had been conquered. They were essentially living as slaves in the land. And they went out, and they found a guy named Daniel. And Daniel was a guy who was very handsome, very strong, um, you know, your typical, I guess, guy model, whatever you want to call it, right? But he was smart. He was quick. I don't know how they, I don't know how they figured out that out when he was five, but they, I guess they could tell or something. And they got Daniel, and they got some of his friends too, named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. But they get this group of Israeli guys, and they bring them into the court, and they begin to train them up, right? And, and keep in mind, these are Israelite guys. These are guys who their country has been conquered by this foreign army. They're essentially enslaved, and now they're having to work for the people that conquered their people, right? It's like, imagine if America got conquered by, um, I don't know, let's have fun with like Sweden. Like, say somehow Sweden conquered America, you know, that'd be kind of crazy, right? I would say China, but that's too obvious, you know? Like Sweden, like she came out of nowhere, right, and conquered America, right? They were like all stronger than we thought, you know? And they enslaved all of us, right? And they took all of us and put us to work in different places, for their purposes and what they wanted to do, you'd be kind of resentful. And yet, Daniel was a guy who just like wherever he was at in the moment, he was a hard worker and he was trying to honor God in everything he did. And, and Daniel was given by God this like really special ability where he was able to interpret all of the king's dreams and tell them what it meant. Because back then they believed that like literally every dream they had had some like kind of really important supernatural um, meaning. And so a king would have a dream and he would go to someone who would interpret it for him and that person would tell him what it meant. And so Daniel was that guy and Daniel was really good at it and he had a lot of success and he prophesied things correctly in his dreams and they came to pass. And so Daniel began to grow and grow in stature. And in the same way, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also had the same success. And they began to um, do really good things, and they, they were adored by the kingdom, and all was well. Until the king begins to build this, like, golden statue, right? In the Old Testament, there's a lot of golden statues that get built, and people that want you to worship them, right? And so uh, the king, uh, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, you might have heard of him before. Um, he builds this golden statue, and he desires for everybody in the land to bow down and worship this golden statue. And keep in mind, this is during exile, right? God was supposed to be silent. Not, you know, things were not going well. God was supposedly not moving during this time, right? He hadn't saved his people. And so um, King Nebuchadnezzar sends out this decree that everybody has to worship this false idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of uh, Daniel's friends, basically say, look, we as uh, worshipers of the one true God of Israel, we can't worship this golden calf. We, we cannot do it. We, we, we refuse to do this. And Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, well, I like you guys, but if you won't do it, then the, the law says you have to be thrown into like a fiery furnace, right? So they get thrown in this like basically just really massive fire, right? And they're, they're thrown in this fire and King Nebuchadnezzar leaves. And when he comes back, miraculously, the Bible says that these men were not burned because God protected them. And it goes so far as to say that not even a hair on their head was singed. It was a complete miracle. And so the fame of these guys began to grow and grow and grow. And when uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were faithful to God in that moment, it began to kind of catch other people's eyes. And, and maybe you've noticed that in your life, that when you're faithful to God, that some people mock you, right? But other people really admire you. And deep down, they really want what you have. They, they want to believe in something powerful. They want to believe in an all-powerful God who loves them and is with them, right? Because most people are just like lonely and they don't know where their life is going. And so when you come along and all of a sudden you're trusting God, that's intriguing to them. 
And so their, their fame and their notoriety begins to, to grow in the kingdom. And then a very similar event happens with Daniel. Daniel and the lion's den. It's like one of the most famous Old Testament stories where um, Babylon had been conquered. Uh, so there was a new empire, a new ruler in town, and a new king. And this king really liked Daniel too. But the problem was, was that there were people in the court of the king who didn't like Daniel. And they wanted to destroy Daniel probably because he was, you know, handsome and he had everything going for him and people were jealous or as they say today they were hating on them right and so translated for the kids out there so um they're hating on him right and so they they go to the king these people they don't like daniel and essentially what they do is they they convince the king to make this decree that they know that daniel cannot abide by so that daniel will have to get thrown into this lion's den and get ripped to shreds you know gladiator style right and so they go to the king and they tell him, hey, king, you should go tell everyone in the land they have to bow down to you. And the king's like, that's a great idea. You know, that'd be great. You know, everyone worship me. And so the edict goes out and they catch Daniel not worshiping the king. They catch him still praying to God, right? Because you couldn't pray to anybody else. You couldn't worship anybody else, right? They found Daniel worshiping the one true God of Israel. And they brought him before the king of this time. And the king was like, oh, not you, Daniel. Because he liked Daniel so much, Right? But he was like, but I got to keep my word. You know, I like you. Are you sure you don't want to turn around and, and, and worship me? You know, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty cool. But Daniel's like, no, I can't do that. I got to worship God. And so they throw him in the lion's den. And, and long story short, as you can probably imagine, Daniel escapes unharmed. All is well. And things are good. And the reason why this story I think is so impressive it's because in this brief series of exile where Israel has been a conquered nation, because eventually things are going to work out better in the future. But in this brief season, Daniel is a story that takes place entirely during this time. Entirely when God is supposedly not doing things for them. Entirely when God is not coming through and he's not faithful and things aren't working out. One of the greatest stories in the Bible happens. It's almost as if somebody forgot to tell Daniel that God wasn't moving in his day. And I think this can be relevant for us because if you're going to be honest, we've come to a day in our nation's history where it kind of feels similarly. Um, if you watch a lot of the, the political discourse or you watch television or you read stuff on the internet, um, it can be shocking to see that in a land that literally on our money it says, in God we trust and in a place where literally every leader we have at the highest office, the president, literally has been made to swear on a Bible that he will be faithful and true and a good leader for our country. It's crazy to think that we have come to a place in our country's history where it feels as if we're kind of in a time of exile. It feels like that a little bit, right? And we don't want to, you know, be too dramatic about it because I was reading a story last week about a lady over in Pakistan who's on death row because she became a Christian, right? Like that's a real story. Those things really happen. And we're, we're nowhere to that point. But you can feel in our culture, there's this sense of like as a Christian community, we're not really the, the center of maybe society as in kind of maybe we once were. We're no longer the moral police for the, the place that we live. We're kind of like feeling somewhat like an outsider group. And you could make the case that in our nation's history, we're kind of in the season of exile. And yet, honestly, that's when God does some of the absolute greatest things. God does some of the greatest things when he gets the most glory for it. And God often gets the most glory in times when things are not going well. We live in this modern age where... Um, 
we have had the honor of seeing one of the greatest advances in human history. And uh, if you're around here a lot, you know I talk about the, the internet quite often. Um, and the reason why I, I do that is because literally it, it is one of the greatest human advances and we got to live to see it happen. It's crazy, right? If you want to know what it was like when they discovered fire, it's maybe a little bit like that, right? That was probably a pretty optimistic time in human history. Oh, we got fire. You know, we can cook food better now, right? We live in this time where the internet has come about and we're just so used to it and we're so ingrained by it and we're so comfortable with it that we, we just are enable, unable to see how life-changing this is for the world that we live in. Okay, the internet exists and you can access today this thing called wireless internet, which is literally an invisible thing that exists that your phone can access. Okay, if it wasn't reality, you would think it was made up. Okay, that literally we have Wi-Fi in this building right now and we have this router in the back of the office. And and once again, you're just so used to it, but, but take off the veil of familiarity. Think about how amazing this is. Literally, that router we have back there, and, and I'm really bad at this, so I looked up some YouTube videos this week to really understand it. So, so forgive me. You can go research it, get all the right technical terms and all the right stuff. I might miss a part of it. But essentially, what a router shoots out is radio waves into the air. And so literally in this room right now, because you can get, we have a, a Wi-Fi called Wide Out Guest. The password is the gospel. You can access it. In this room right now, there are invisible radio waves flying all around. I don't know if they fly. I don't know how it works. Maybe they're stagnant. I don't know. But they're all in this room. And your computer and your phone can access it. I have an iPad right here, right? It's pretty cool. I I preach from an iPad, right? And so um, this thing can access these radio waves because there's a chip in here that reads all the information. And not only can it access it, which is miraculous, but within these, uh, these invisible radio waves that you can't touch, you can't see, you can't feel, you can't hear, or anything like that, right? That my iPad accesses it, and not only is that cool enough, but within those radio waves is contained all of this information. The greatest source and the most vast source of information the world has ever known and been compiled into one place. And isn't it crazy that the greatest invention of our time the thing that has created the most optimism in humanity recently is completely invisible. And you can't see it. You can't hear it. You can't touch it. I don't think you can smell it. And it's funny because I think it's began to bring a different narrative in our day because we came out of a modern age where they thought if you couldn't see something, then maybe it wasn't real. Yet the internet has proven that the greatest invention of our time is something you can't even see. That there is a reality beyond the things that you can see, feel, and touch. That there is so much more going on in this room right now than you realize. That there is a wireless presence that is dripping with information that you could access at any given moment. There is more going on in this room than meets the eye. There is a wireless network full of every information you could ever want. And in the same way, God is wireless. God is not tied to one situation in your life. He is not tied to one situation or one outcome or one nation's success or or one thing that you're really wanting. He is far beyond that. He is wireless. He is accessible anywhere in this world. 
He is not contained in a, in a place or a country or a time or a border or a season of your life. He transcends everything. God, his presence is everywhere. Christ, yes, he has a body, but God is spirit. And he's spirit because that's so much better than being physical. I have a body, right? Would you think that's really cool? And you can see me and that's awesome. But because I have this physical body with physical limitations, it means I can't be standing back there at the same time I'm standing up here. Therefore, I'm limited. We often wish we could see God and we wish we could see everything that he was doing. We wish we we could understand everything he was doing. But if you could understand it in your human mind, it probably wouldn't be all that great or impressive, now would it? Because your mind is limited, your body is limited, and God is not limited. He is transcendent. The internet is not dependent upon one person's phone who gets on it. The wireless internet in this room is present no matter anybody accesses it or not. It is there, it is transcendent, it is beyond every physical reality that we often judge our reality based upon. And Israel was blown away during the time of exile. And I don't know if they knew about Daniel's story. I mean, maybe they did. Maybe I don't know about all that. But, but what is amazing is literally Israel is lying in ruins. And God is saving people out of a lion's den and keeping them perfectly unharmed when a furnace is coming. He's doing miraculous things. The plan is moving forward. Nothing has gone wrong. There have been no setbacks. There have been no delays. There have been no hindrances. Everything is as planned. God is still as good as he's ever been. And Israel's lying in ruins because Israel is not going to be the savior or the hero. God himself is going to be the hero and the savior of this story and of your story. And he is not tied to national success, to circumstantial success. He is good no matter what. And no matter what happens in our lives, God is good, he is present, he is faithful. Everything is well, everything is moving forward, everything is good. Much like this internet thing that we're learning how to deal with in our modern world, God is not a landline, he's not tied to anything, he's beyond everything. You can't see how it all works out, but it all works out and it is accessible. God is an unseen provider and he's bigger than the human mind can even comprehend. The kingdom that God was building was not visible, but it was spiritual because spiritual is greater than physical. It's a kingdom that can be accessed and entered into anywhere in the world, regardless of physical location. It is not an earthly kingdom confined by boundaries, but a heavenly kingdom open to anyone who would turn and worship the one true God. And then there's this passage in Colossians 1. You've probably read it. It, 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 it's one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. In Colossians 1, 15 through 20, it talks about this invisible becoming visible, where it says in Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Talking about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. So he is invisible, but then he came visible. He entered into human history. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God is wireless. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus Christ might be preeminent. For in Jesus the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Friend, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
the infinite became finite for a moment, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. We often preach Christ, and we want to tell you about who he is, and we want to make you understand him, and we want to explain him to you. We want to explain the good news of the gospel and and how it works, and we want you to believe it because that's the way you enter into everlasting life. But here's the problem. You can't fully understand it. You can't fully understand it. You can grasp it. You can enter into it. You can follow Jesus, but you can't understand everything about him because he's far too good. His ways are far, far too perfect. They're far too intrinsic. It's not a landline. It's not something you can trace. You can't trace, oh, that's where it goes. It goes to this, I plug it. No, it's, it's, it's wireless. You can access it here or there or there. And there is part of the faith that we often try to, try to dumb down and we lose the mystery and then we lose the wonder. And then the Bible becomes a pragmatic moral textbook of how we should live our lives. When in reality, the Bible is saying, look, God is amazing and transcendent and beyond everything. He is so amazing and so wonderful. And there was a moment when all that wonder entered into one person named Jesus Christ. And he came and blew the world away and he changed it forever. And God himself died on the cross for your sins so you wouldn't have to die for your sins. He wiped away your unfilthiness, gave you his perfection, and all you have to do is believe. It literally is unfathomable that it's that good, that you can have everything through faith in Christ. I'm going to close with this. I heard this quote um, a few months back. Halcyon shared it with me, and um, it has stuck with me ever since. And it, it, I think what, what this quote is about to do for you is I think it's going to take everything we've talked about, the story of Daniel, the time of exile, not sure what God was doing, but he was still moving, this concept that God is wireless. It's going to take all this, and it's going to boil it down to your life. And I want you to take this quote. If you can, I want you to write it down or put it in your phone. I want you to tweet it. I want you to do whatever you have to do to remember this quote because it is absolutely amazing. It explains everything we're talking about. It's a quote by John Piper. And he says, At any given moment, God is doing thousands of things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. At any given moment, God is doing thousands of things in your life. And you might be aware of three of those things. Or maybe you're aware of five of those things. Or maybe two, maybe zero, right? That's how we often feel. I'm aware of zero things to do in my life. See, Israel learned that God's power and goodness was not tied to their national success. What I'm calling you to do this morning is to release your understanding of God's goodness to all that he is. To release your understanding of your circumstances and your life and the things that you're wanting to release those things and to achieve peace through faith in Christ. Not peace through everything being exactly like you think it should be, but peace through trusting that God not only works everything together for your good, but that he's doing it in this very second as you're talking, as we're talking. And no matter how bad things are, no matter how um, uncertain things look, no matter how much we don't get what God is doing, 
He is completely and perfectly in control and working everything together for your good. I want to invite you to trust Jesus in this, to follow him in the uncertainty of life. Those who live life without following Christ, they sail their entire life in choppy seas with no captain. And yet those who follow Jesus have a captain who controls the seas. And what we find in this moment is that what God is doing in your life is not only good, but is far better than you could even imagine. And you're sitting in this room right now listening to some guy talk to you about all the wonderful things God is doing in your life. And as I close, I'll just close by saying that this is proven true in the Bible as we're going to see in the coming months. In the time of exile, things were rough for Israel. Things were not going as planned. The the nation was struggling. But what the Bible tells us is that God eventually brings forth his son, Jesus Christ. And he establishes that kingdom that was lacking in the season of exile. And that not only is that kingdom here today, but that it will come in a fullness and a time to come. I want you to have all the wonder that comes with trusting God with your life. I want you to realize that in any given moment of your life, God is doing thousands, if not millions of things. And so we trust him in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that not only do you love us, but God, you love us in ways that we don't even know that you do love us. I pray right now, Lord, for anyone in this room that's kind of wandering through life. Anyone, Jesus, that's not trusting you in this moment, I pray in this moment that you would touch their heart and that they would see how much better life is when they walk with the God of the universe and not alone. God, I pray for the people out there that have questions and doubts and they're skeptical about things. I pray, God, that you would remind them that they have a finite and a limited mind. And that God, even if we could understand more of you, we could never understand you fully because you are God and we are man. I pray, God, we would love the mystery. I pray we would worship you because you are beyond us, because you do work in ways that we cannot imagine. And I pray to God that we would also worship you Because you say in your word that you work everything together for good, even the tough times, even the uncertain times, even the painful times, God, that you work those together for our good because you love us so much. God, increase our trust and our faith in you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.